This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Amen. And those are just a few of the stories. I know we have so many more represented at all of our different campuses, Um, but it's an honor and it's been a privilege and I'm excited to see what the Lord does in their lives this year. Before we go any further, uh, I need to let you know that uh, I'm I'm an animated speaker. I'm an animated communicator. So this is not just uh, me speaking to you, but it's it's an open dialogue. And so if I say something that's good, I need you to shout me down, mask and all. I need you to say, that's good. Okay, somebody in the last row, you didn't say it. I can see you. Uh, You can say, that's good. Oh, but I know when it gets really good and it starts hitting you here, it's hard to say that's good because you're like, oh. That's for me, Lord. That's for my husband, oh Lord. Like, so if it's hitting you like that, something that helps me, and we do this in youth as well, is everyone put two fingers in the air just like this. Two fingers in the air. I, I, I can see you, so you're already not participating. Two fingers in the air, and just double tap the air like that. And it's just like what we do on social media when you see on your Facebook, and you're like, oh, Pastor Tim's preaching hearted, just like it. And that's just for me to you, just to know that you're hearing me, that it's connecting and that the Lord is using this message. Um, If you're taking notes today, which I hope you are, uh, the title of this message is, I've made it when I've met him. I've made it when I've met him. Look at your neighbor and say, I've made it when I've met him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we welcome the Lord today? Father, we thank you. Thank you for what you've been up to already in our midst throughout this service. Uh, Lord, I know that you've been knocking on hearts. Lord, you've been speaking to the souls in this room far beyond this moment. And so, Father, I just ask, Lord, that in this time, that you'd silence distractions, that you'd silence the voice of what's going on in our life that's stirring behind us. And Lord, that we would be able to lean into what you wanna say today. Lord, I pray for hearts to be open, fertile soil for your word. Lord, that this go beyond this moment and it live beyond just a communicator, but Holy Spirit, that you'd remind your people that you're for them and you're with them. Father, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray and we all say, amen. In 2004, in Athens, Greece, it was the Olympics. A man by the name of Matt Emmons, he was known as one of the greatest, if not the greatest prone rifle shooter of our time. What does that mean? It means the guy could shoot a gun really well. Not just any particular gun, this this gun was a high-tech rifle, it's very lightweight, it almost looks like an airsoft pellet gun. And he steps into the Olympics in 2004, pretty much already being crowned the champion. He walks in known to be the best, he's expected to win gold in every event, but the one event that he was surely expected to win at was the three stance event. It means that he'd have to be shooting from his belly, from his knees, and then he'd stand with the last shot. And as he does this, he does exactly what everyone expected. He's leading the pack. He's in first place all throughout the rounds. He's finally at his last chance to shoot. It's amazing to watch it on video. The crowd begins to just, just a hush falls over the crowd and he he sets his rifle up. All he has to do is hit his target. That's all he has to do. Doesn't need a bullseye, doesn't need a high scoring point, just needs to hit the target. And if this target is hit, the goal is his. So he sets up his rifle, looks down his sights, takes his his aim, 
and he shoots. And you hear the target get hit, and immediately there is a roar from the crowd. It is not only a roar, but there's also an audible gasp in the arena. Half the arena is cheering and going crazy, and the other half is in disbelief because they are understanding what just happened. He hit the bullseye. He hit the target. It was a perfect shot in the lane next to his. He gets zero points. In that moment, he goes from first place to last place, gold gone. The whole room staring at him, he looks at the gun in disbelief. He had every excuse to be upset. A fun fact was at that same Olympics, his original rifle was sabotaged by an opponent, so someone gave him a rifle to be borrowed. And then this happens. He missed the target. And as I was getting prepared for today, I felt the Lord say, we are running the risk of doing the same thing in our own lives, that we run the risk that if we don't put our focus to the things that we've been talking about throughout our series of Live It Out, if we don't put our focus in abiding in the Lord, we will miss out on the target that we're aiming for. What's funny is uh, the Bible likens our life to a race. Pastor Tom, he spoke so eloquently about it last week. He, he talked about how we need to finish the race well and, and to, to, to put away distractions and to abide in the Lord. And as I was hearing this, if I'm honest, I was a little nervous. I was like, I think he's preaching my message for next week. Started texting my mom, Pastor Kevin. I'm like, I need you guys to listen. I'm about to go into youth, but I think he's preaching my sermon. And as I listened back to the message and as I prepped, I felt the spirit in me just well up with the question, not just are you running the race, but are you running the right race? Are you putting all your energy and all your focus into the things that will actually matter at the end? I know the world that we live in today, I, I, I was blessed to, to grow up in it. We're in a, in a social media society. I was just talking about this with a student the other day. Instagram came out in, in my late high school years. And now look at social media. But we live in a, in a culture that promotes hustle, that promotes the grind, that promotes make your money now while you can. That promotes if you're not getting it right now and if it doesn't look right, then what are you really doing? And it's not just that, it may be even our own definition, our own thoughts of what success is. As I was preparing this message and as we step into the new fall season, I, I know what it's like once the season kicks off. As a church, we're getting ready for spiritual growth campaign. That means life groups. That means a whole lot of events, so stay tuned, pay attention. But it means life gets busy. It means we go back to school and we're around friends that have a different focus than us. We go back to college and suddenly there's a different hustle about it. We get into work and the grind starts to look different. And along that route, your focus and your heart's desire of what success looks like begins to morph and shift. It's a constant tug of war. I don't know what your definition of success is. I think it looks different for all of us. For some of us, it may be to make more money. It may be to become respected, to accomplish major accolades, to take over your family business. Maybe it's to start your own business. Maybe it's owning property, having a certain amount of finances in your bank account so you could do some things you want to do. You feel me? I feel that one. Maybe it's getting married, starting a family. You've been waiting on it. 
You've been praying for it. Maybe it's to become a doctor, to get the promotion at your job. But there's something inside of your soul that's stirring, that's desiring, and it almost blends into your flesh where you start to crave and desire the ability to say, I've made it. I'm successful. Look at me now, mom. Look at your boy. We all have that desire. And it's not a bad desire. It's actually natural. But if we don't put it with its proper parameters, we will end up running the wrong race. We will end up finding ourselves in places that we never wanted, trying to to, to gain from other things. And we'll get into other things, but we need to go to the source. And so today, as we dive in, my heart's desire for you is that you leave encouraged, that you would leave knowing that he's the lifter of your head, that you would leave this room today knowing that the God of the universe is on your side, that he made decisions before you could ever make a decision about him, he made one about you. That when you walk out and Monday hits, because Monday's coming, it's a few hours away, that you know that you're validated, that you know you have a place to belong, and that you have a place and a person and he'll give you rest. You know, it's funny, even some of the most respectable and highly decorated people in, in, our, in our society, in our culture, they, they've struggled and wrestled with similar ideas with, with this, saying I've, I've made it. One person that I personally like, his name is Tom Brady. For those of you who may not know who Tom Brady is, he is a, a national uh, football player. He plays for the NFL. He's a quarterback. Some believe him to be the greatest quarterback who has ever lived possibly the greatest football player, it's debatable. But what's not debatable is he's won seven Super Bowl championship rings, filling up that bling bling more than five fingers. I feel like I can't tell this joke with with the pad behind me. Thank you, Emmanuel. You're the man. I appreciate it. It's too spiritual. It's too spiritual. And I'm trying to be funny right now. By the way, Emmanuel is one of our students. He graduated. He's on the worship team. Lead keys player, that boy. So Tom Brady, seven Super Bowls. He's been to 10 of them. And in an interview several years back, they asked him, they said, look at your life. Look what you've accomplished. You're, you're the GOAT, greatest of all time. Well, how do you feel about it? And this was his quote. He said, gosh, is this it? There's got to be something more. Warren Buffett, top 10 wealthiest people on the planet. He's worth about 105.2 billion. Say it with a B, billion. You know what you can do? No, anyways. And at a shareholders meeting, he, he was asked a question by, by a 30-year-old, and this was the question about happiness. He said, uh, how, how, how do you be happy? Is it, is it to make a lot of money? And Warren Buffett said, no, that's definitely not it. Drake, who's one of the most influential pop stars of our generation, whether you like him or not, he's got more hits than the Beatles. He's worth over $150 million at the young age of 34. Everything at his fingertips. And in one of his songs, these are his lyrics. The song is titled, Is There More? He says, is there more to life than digits and banking accounts? Is there more to life than just saying, I figured it out, is there more? First Lady Michelle Obama, holla. 
black excellence. She graduated from Princeton University, graduated from Harvard Law, became an attorney and served as our first lady. She's done so much more. But when asked on becoming and achieving in life, this was her quote. For me, becoming isn't about arriving somewhere or achieving a certain aim. I see it instead as forward motion, a means of evolving, a way to reach continuously towards a better self. The journey doesn't end. So here we have people that we deem successful, and there's so many more quotes, but I'm trying to get you to lunch soon, okay? But we deem them to be successful, and they have everything we would seem to want, but what we find them saying is there's got to be something more. There's something else out there. I'm missing something. And what I love is we even see this reflected in the Word of God. We talk a lot about a man named Saul. And I'd love to just bring just a, a little bit of background about it because it matters. Saul's early life was marked that he was born a Jew. Not only was he born a Jew, but his parents were Pharisees, which meant that they followed the law to the T. They were all into the do's and the don'ts. They were into the hierarchy of religiosity. They, they ma it mattered how you looked. It mattered how you behaved. It mattered what you did. It mattered how you functioned. And because of this, they were also well off, which meant that he was able to afford the best possible schooling. He could speak Aramaic. He could speak Greek. He was also a Roman citizen, which gave him even more liberties than the average person. He became a lawyer, eventually a part of the Sanhedrin, which meant that he was at the top of the upper echelon of society. Saul was feared. He was respected. He had authority. He had knowledge. But Paul, being so strict, he did not believe in the teachings of Jesus. He did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he decided that he would eradicate Christianity, that he would literally go after and persecute followers of the way, the first believers of Jesus. Scholars believe that he was notorious and that he was known as one of the biggest religious terrorists that we have ever seen. Saul had a different kind of power. He wasn't the one just rolling up to the house and pulling you out and sending you to prison. Saul was writing letters, sending those letters, and those letters were sending the authorities to come and get you. It's that kind of power. Saul wasn't a regular dude. And so with this power, he decided he was going to go after the church. Acts chapter 3, verse 8 states that he began destroying the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Saul thought he made it. Saul thought that what he was doing, the way he operated, the way he functioned, the accolades that he had, the respect, the knowledge that he was in right standing with God. Look, look what I'm doing. This makes the Lord proud. And in reality, he was standing in direct opposition to the things of God and didn't even know it until a special day. What many of us know as the road to Damascus, Saul was on his way actually to persecute some more Christians, to get them sent to prison. And as he's on his way, he's blinded on his journey, the road to Damascus. And he's not just blinded by any light, but it is Jesus himself that has decided to interrupt Saul's life. And some of you, I know you've had moments like this. Some of you in this room, maybe you haven't had this moment yet. Well, we're praying for you. You're going to get God if you stay at this church. So he has this moment. He's blinded. And this is what the word of God says in Acts chapter 9, verses 4 through 5. These are Jesus' words. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He replied, who are you, Lord? I love that, that he knew immediately, like, 
whatever this is, whoever this is, it's not my mom's voice, it's not my dad's voice, there is a different kind of holy reverence in this moment. And the guy who's out here killing the followers of the way immediately recognizes the authority of the way. He sees it. He says, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Jesus answered directly and clearly, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So we see some instructions given to to Saul at this time, and there's a transformation that happens in his life. He follows the instructions from the Lord, and as he's on his way, his name is actually changed from Saul to Paul. We see scales fall from his eyes as he's blinded from this moment, and his life is forever changed. Saul goes from persecuting the church to preaching the good news about Jesus. He goes from killing and throwing people in jail for believing in Jesus, even speaking his name. But now he's come face to face. He's had an encounter. He's different. And so this is what we see. He's speaking different. There's a new path. There's a new purpose, a new meaning. He made three long missionary journeys throughout the Roman Empire, planting churches, preaching the gospel, giving strength and encouragement to the early Christians, 14 known churches, and he preached and wrote to many more. Of the 27 books of the New Testament, Paul's credited as the author of 13 of them. So Paul has this encounter. His world has changed. His perspective has changed. His mind has changed. His passions have changed. His, his problems and his issues are still there, but now he has a solution. And that solution's name is Jesus. And so we see him have a 180 in his life. So it has to make us ask the question for ourselves today, if a man who was persecuting Christians, if a man who was willing to murder and be a part of the stoning of an apostle named Stephen, if a man that is walking away from the will of God, even though he thinks he's actually walking in the will of God, can change like that, then who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And I pray that if you have been numb to the reality of who he is, that you'd wake up today. That if there's a part of your heart that is hardened to who Jesus is, that right now it would soften. That if you've been walking with blind eyes, that scales would fall off today. And I don't say this in the power of my authority. I say this in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. And so who is this Jesus? And more importantly, who is this Jesus on this race of life? Who is this Jesus as we, as we step onto the track and it's not a sprint, but it's a marathon. Who is this Jesus to us? And he's a lot of things. And as I was praying, I said, Lord, I, we'd be here all day. We got to get to lunch, Jesus. He said, there's three things I need you to talk about, Tim. Just three, three simple things for today, for the race that we're running, for the race that Pastor Tom so, so perfectly laid out how we must abide. And the first thing is this, Jesus is our validation. Will you say Jesus is our validation? We can go ahead and bring out one of those, those flags. Jesus is our validation. Everything we often do is in search for validation. The question is not if we're seeking validation. The question is where are we seeking validation from? So I'm going to pause and ask you to be honest and ask you to be real with yourself right now, right here, where are you seeking it from? Where are you getting your worth and your value from? Honestly, 
not the right answer that you know to say. Most of us know the right answer. But where are you currently getting it from right now? See, the key to understanding our validation is to know that it comes and it stems from Jesus' love for us. When you get in a race, I don't know about you, I, I, I was pretty slow in high school when it came to my speed. I was not the fastest person out there. And there were some times where I, you know, I'd get picked to, to jump in a race. I think the last race I won was fourth grade. Holla, fourth grade, Miss McIntyre. Good memory. That's because it's the last race I won. But anyways, when you get in a race, I don't know about you, but for me, I, I need someone to cheer me on. I need someone to say, you're supposed to be in the race. I needed it even for this morning. I'm grateful for the support system I have that was like, Tim, you got this. I was like, do I? Yeah, you got this. I was like, are you sure? Yes, you're anointed. But I'm not. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm going to come and do it. Y'all ain't an easy crowd. I'm going to be honest. Y'all should see yourself. I'm going to take a picture. I got arms folded. I see your scowl even under the mask. You'd be like, what is this Puerto Rican guy yelling at me for? It's a Sunday. Where's PT? Is this his son? This is Puerto Rican son? He'd be looking tan, right? Pastor Tom. Okay, I'll stop. This is fun. Where are you getting your validation from? Because if it's not coming from Jesus, you're in danger. If it's not coming from the ultimate authority in the word of God, you're in danger. What makes you feel like you have value and worth? Is it your relationships? Is it your status? Is it the clothes you, you got? I remember the first time my dad explained to me what credit was. I was walking around, he said, you see this? You see South Florida? People may look like they got that S500 Mercedes Benz, but they got debt to their eyeballs. And I was like, what? But I like the Mercedes. Is it from the car you drive, the clothes you wear, the words of affirmation from, from your family members? Because those, those are all nice things and they're all great things. But if that's where we're hanging our hat on getting validation, we're in trouble. Maybe it's validation from your in-laws. Maybe it's validation from your son or your daughter that you haven't heard a word from in a while. You're validated from the Lord. If we're not careful, we can allow our, our feelings, we can allow social media to become the barometer of our feelings of worth, our value of significance. But it comes from the Lord, and I'm excited to share with you right now, right here, just some simple truths. You've, you've heard them. I know we have some Bible-going people in our church, but I want to remind you today. I want to remind you about the words that have been spoken over you, who God says you are. In Genesis 1.27, the word of God says that he made you in his image, not in anyone else's image, in his image. In Zephaniah 3 verse 17, it says that he delights in you. I don't know if anybody's told you they delight in you, but the word of the Lord says that he delights in you. It actually says it this way. The Lord, your God, he's with you. The mighty warrior, what? Who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. Oh, unless you're doing some things that need rebuking. Let's just get it straight. And he will rejoice over you with singing 
Romans 8.31, God is not against you. Jeremiah 29.11, his plans for you are good. Somebody sit in that for a second. That God has some plans for you better than your plans, better than whatever you've been conjuring up, better than whatever you and your financial advisor sat down to talk about. His plans are better. And his plans are good and they are for you. I get to hear students all the time, Pastor Tim, I don't know, I don't know what I'm good at. I'm not making fun of y'all, this is just what you sound like. <laughs> Romans 12, 6, he has given you unique gifts, talents, and strengths. And my favorite, the Lord has bought you for a price. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, you see, just at the right time, not when, when you wanted, he didn't show up late. Just at the right time, it says that we were still powerless. Anybody ever feel powerless before? I know I have. And just at the right time, God died for the ungodly. See, very rarely anyone will die for a righteous person, but for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. While we were still sinners, Christ decided that he was willing to pay his life, put his life, blood that had never seen a sin, blood that was worthy to go onto the altar, blood that was worthy for atonement. What's atonement? So that you and I could come back into the grace and experience the love of God. It doesn't happen without a price. So you want to drive an expensive Mercedes? You want to have nice clothes? That's fine. But I'm going to let you know that you have a tag on your spiritual life and it's called paid in full. That's your validation. That's where it comes from. It, it doesn't come from you thinking you're, you're hot stuff, no. You should be great at what you do. We need Christians to get promotions. We need to lead our organizations in a great way. We need to be the ones leading the pack. Students, I believe you can be the next leaders creatively through tech, through finance, through business, all of it. We need it. But it's not where our validation comes from. It's not where our worth comes from. I watched a bunch of track videos preparing for today, and it, it was quite funny seeing, well, I don't know if it's funny, but seeing people fall. <laughs> and these hurdles, I don't know, I'm, I'm about 6'5". No, I'm really 5'8", but you see how high these hurdles are? <laughs> Watching the Olympics is impressive. And if we're thinking about the life that we're living, there's gonna be some hurdles along the way. And there's gonna be some things that trip you up. And what I've noticed is that as you run the race, and as, I'm not gonna jump this, there's no way possible. But as you run the race and you trip up over a hurdle, what usually happens is you hit the next hurdle. And it's hard to regain your composure and you hit the next hurdle. And eventually, you're on the ground looking around like, did I do that? A failure. I wanna let you know that Jesus knew about those already. He knew about every stumbling block that you'd run into. He knew about every hard time you'd encounter. He knew when the doctor would send a report that you weren't expecting. He knew that you might lose your job this past year. He knew. And the best part is that he gives us grace. And he has mercy to understand that 
we're human and in our humanness, that's really what the race kind of ends up looking like. There's some hurdles and seasons that we make it through gracefully like a gazelle. And there's some hurdles where we look like, man, please don't watch that back. And through it all, he made the decision to say, I want you, I choose you, I validate you. One of the things that I, growing up in high school, uh, that I, I always wanted to be uh, a part of a, a group, a part of a group that was, that was bigger than just, just me. Um, I remember uh, early on, I jumped into the football team, and, and that was cool. It was MSD Pride. I went to, to Margie Stoneman Douglas in Parkland, and uh, I remember being on the football team, and from the football team, I went to the drum line, which the drum line was where it was at. We were state champs, get it right. Band nerds, hey, y'all end up being the coolest people later on because they're all, we, we play with the musicians, all that good stuff, and then all the friends want tickets, and they want to come hang with us after they made fun of you holding the saxophone for five years. It's okay. Clearly, I have some deep-rooted pain going on inside of me. I wanted to be a part of a group that was bigger than just me. And I would bounce around and I would look for what we would call a place of belonging. And that's the second thing that the Lord is to us on this race. He's our place of belonging. He's the one that we can run to. He, he adopts us into his family. As we run the race of life, I, I know that there can be moments where you feel like you are all alone. Even though you know you're validated, you're like, okay, but God, like, let's do this. Who's with me? And there's some seasons where you feel like you are alone. Can I let you know that, that the Lord has adopted you, that he's welcomed you, that you're actually a part of something much bigger than just you? That the way you run this race matters, not just for your personal life, but for those around you. The ones that are cheering you on in this race. In this world, especially this last year, we've been feeling a disconnection of community. COVID and Zoom calls, gotta love Zoom. And there's this disconnect. Some of us in this very room feeling isolated, like, I, I get it. I know how you're feeling. Like, I don't know, am I going? What's going on with this COVID Delta? Are people going to wear their masks? I don't know. I haven't seen my life group in a few weeks, but I saw them the other day, and it felt good. But dang, we want to hang, but we're not sure. Right? It's confusing. But we have a place to belong. What I love about a place of belonging, especially after we walk through some hurdles in life and, and we have our mistakes and our scars, is that Jesus, Jesus went to exactly those who he knew would stumble and still said, you're with me. He went to people like the disciple Peter who couldn't clean up his mouth fast enough, couldn't calm his temper down quick enough. He went to people like, or of course, Zacchaeus, hiding in a tree, taxing people way more than they should. I see you, Zacchaeus, come sit with me. I'm actually going to dinner at your place. We don't even know what they spoke about, but we know that he walks out completely changed. We see a woman caught in adultery, thrown down in front of Jesus. Ooh, what you gonna do now, Jesus? Check it out, we caught her in the act. And Jesus, oh, yeah, gotcha, okay, cool. You guys never sinned before? Anybody? No? Never? Oh, because you could throw the stone if you have. Oh, okay. 
time after time again, when you disqualified yourself, when you believed the lie of the enemy that he don't want you, he says, you're my son, you're my daughter. In Ephesians chapter two, verse six, we read that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In Luke chapter 15, verse four, we read that he leaves the 99 to go after the one. We read in Ephesians one that he adopts the orphan. And about a year ago, I got to go to Dallas, Dallas, Texas. And I sat down in a, in a room full of influencers and pastors and curators. And I was kind of curious as why I was there. I was like, Lord, why am I in this room? And a young woman shared a story or testimony. She uh, was a pastor's kid and she was running from the Lord for quite some time. She found herself caught up in some drug use. And eventually she found herself on the floor ODing. And she was by herself and she said in that moment she realized that the only words that she could get out of her mouth were Jesus. 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 And if you'd indulge me for a minute, she shared a vision that she had in that moment. That she, she was walking towards this, this castle and she knew it was the Lord's. She knew that, that, that the Lord was there. That God himself was there. And that as she was walking towards it, she, she saw angels flying all around it in and out of different rooms and through different windows. And she saw a servant's door and she began to walk over towards the servant's door. And as she was walking there, an angel came and told her, no, 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 no. You go through the front door. And the angel brought her to the front door, and as she came through the front door, she, she got to walk over to the living room where she saw the dining room table, and she said it was this long table, and that, that, that the Lord was there, but that there was a seat there. And it wasn't just any seat, it was, it was a unique seat, it was her custom-made seat. And that she was welcome, and they said, welcome home. After she saw this vision, she, she, she came back too, and she was in the ambulance, and it was that moment that she turned her whole life around. And as I heard that, I knew that that was bigger than that moment. I was the Lord reminding even me that, Tim, I have a, a seat for you. That it's, it's not just any chair. You know when you show up to the, to the dinner late and they pull up a chair from the other table and now you're feeling all awkward sitting in the fifth person on the side of the table? This isn't that chair. This is a chair that was custom made. This was a chair that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that he's ordained for you to be a part of the family of God. And so I don't know who's feeling alone today. I don't know who's feeling like you've been by yourself doing your own thing. You can come home. And there is a chair for you. Lastly, Jesus, he's our rest. What I love about a chair is you can rest in a chair. What is he giving us rest from? He's giving us rest from battling anxiety. He's giving us rest from comparison. He's giving us rest from the things that we begin to go through day in and day out. If, if we really analyze the life that we live and that we walk through, as you go through day in and day out, your senses are being tugged at. You're seeing things, you're, you're uh, Netflix or work, and then you're going home, then you're at Publix, and now you're going to all these different places, doing all these different things, and before you know it, end of the day, you are worn out. Your focus deterred. Your purpose may be deflated. And now what? Well, he's your rest. 
I love how he says it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 through 34. These are Jesus' words. He says, so above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Catch this. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each day that comes your way. One day at a time, tomorrow will take care of itself. What's amazing is if you actually read this passage of scripture and you just go a few verses earlier, Jesus is listing out the things that we would tend to worry about day in and day out. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about where you're going to go. Well, Jesus, these are some important things. I need to know where to put my head at night. Jesus, I don't know how, where the next check is coming in from. Jesus, I'm not sure if I'm going to get the job that gives me the amount of money that we can do what we need to do, God. Don't worry about it. But, but seek first. And all these other things, I'll add on to you. So we have the ability to go to the God of the universe and lay down our troubles. If you have some worries today, I implore you, lay them down. If you have some things that are going on, if you're nervous about school, if you're nervous about the Delta COVID, if you're nervous about the next check, lay it down at his feet because we serve a God who does not sleep nor does he slumber. So we can sleep while he's at work. So we can rest while he's doing the thing. He's already on your side. I don't know about you. I need some rest. I'm tired of worrying about things that I have no control over. I'm tired of worrying about things. Well, uh, I talked to Pastor Nadine the other day. I'm like, Pastor Nadine, we have to make decisions like three months out what to do with our students with COVID. We don't know. It's okay. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to trust in the Lord. We're going to do our best day in and day out, and we're going to trust in the Lord. I know some of you are miserable at your job right now. Not me. I'm not me. I'm not saying I am. <laughs> I like my job, but maybe you don't. Put it at his feet today. Instead of just complaining, what, what if we trusted him? And I know Monday's coming, but just remember you placed it at the foot of his cross. Some of you, maybe, maybe you're praying for a baby and you're waiting and you're waiting. And that's not just some other little thing, but man, I pray in Jesus' name that it be added onto you as you rest and you put it at his feet and say, Lord, we want this. Maybe it's some family that has just been running from God. And that's strenuous in multiple ways. I pray you lay it at his feet so you can rest. Because as we go and as we run through this race of life, we need his validation. We need a place to belong and we need rest. How do we do that? It's two simple steps. Somebody say two step. Ooh, two step in the name of the Lord. Here are the two steps. In order for us to continually chase after the realm of God's kingdom, we need to meet with Jesus. And we talk about that a lot at this church because that's really all that that'll get you there. The first step is this. How do you run the race? Well, you two-step it. You grow in community. Don't give up on showing up. No matter what's going on, there's going to be a lot of things that happen in this next season. Don't allow it to break your community. Don't allow 
your own life circumstance to get in the way of you connecting with others in the family of God. Why? Because it's in these rooms and it's in these environments that we get our encouragement. It's where we get filled up. It's where a word from the Lord can come to you. It could come anywhere, but I guarantee you, you're running by a hundred so Christians, it's gonna happen a lot more often. It's where you can be free. For those online, don't give up showing up online. Don't give up and making this opportunity sacred. Don't just watch it in the kitchen, but make your living room your altar. You have to continue to show up. Because if you keep taking breaks out of the race, or if you keep taking breaks from showing up to the team rally, which is what this is, then you'll get disconnected from the team quickly. You'll feel lost and on your own quickly. You'll feel like, okay, well, I can do this on my own. I don't know about you, I don't wanna do it on my own. I know what it's like on my own. I'm not enough on my own. But when I get around the body of believers, there's just something that happens. The word says not to forsake the gathering of the believers. God wants to do a new thing when it starts with us right here. The second step after growing in community, it's pursuing God. And it's not just pursuing in the way you've done it. I want to challenge you today. Get creative. Do something new. Spice it up a little. Some of you are bored. I say that with respect, but you're bored. And it's not Pastor Tom, Pastor Candy, Pastor Nadine, not the creative team's job to make it come to life for you. We get to help, but do something different. If you're tired of the way it's always been, then do something different. What are some things you can do different? For some of us, you really have never jumped in life group. Join a life group that's coming up soon. For some of us, maybe you've not attended a night to blaze or you only did it once. Get in the building. But what's a more intimate way for you? There's podcasts, a plethora of them, so many. So many, so much richness for you to go and dive into. Yeah, there's sermons online and on YouTube. Go ahead, dive into that. But I wanna challenge you. I've seen even other ways. Meditate on the Lord, maybe not just by reading, but there's, there's adult coloring books. I know this sounds crazy, but I challenge you. There's biblical adult ones. You, I, I've seen some of my family members sit down and, and they color the pages and there's scripture on it and they're meditating on that scripture. And at first I made fun of it, but then it made sense later. For some of us, it's, it's setting up a different prayer time. You've always prayed here, but the Lord's like, cool, I've met you there, I wanna meet you somewhere else. There's too many distractions here, try something new. He decided to send the youth pastor away to say, mix it up. Change it up. You have the opportunity. And these two things, when we grow in community and we pursue God, it ultimately equals intimacy with God. It's a relationship. I'm grateful that as I run the race of life, I don't look at the Lord on the sidelines and say, I don't really know you. No, he knows what I struggle with. I talk to him about it. He knows my fears. He tries to get me to cool off on him. He knows my anxieties. But because of the relationship I have and that you have, you're able to, when he spurs you on, keep going. 
When he gives you that one word from the one person you didn't expect, you're like, okay, Lord, we still in this game. Let's go. And it's on the way for you. We find Paul at the end of his life. Most considered this text that we're about to read some of his last words. He accomplished so much, good and bad. He's endured real hardships, tough times, even being a Christian. He was a man with influence across the world, not just then, but even till this day, we still talk about him. He's impacted us. And at the end of his life, he's lived on both ends of the spectrum. And this is what he says in 2 Timothy 4, chapter 6 through 8. You take over. I'm about to die. My life and offering on God's altar. Catch this. This is the only race worth running. I've run hard right to the finish, believed all the way, and all that's left now is the shouting of God's applause. Depend on it. He's an honest judge. He'll do right not only by me, but by everyone eager for his coming. Paul says, I've done it all. I have the accolades. I have the education. I have the wealth. I have the power. But the best thing I did, the only thing worth doing, was getting to meet Jesus and pursuing him after Paul essentially said, I've made it because I've met him. And I'm going to continue to meet with him day in and day out until I get to do it continuously in heaven. So all across this room, from, from middle school all the way on up to our grandmas and grandpas in the room, you can make it every day. You have the ability to say, I've made it every day. And you may not feel like you made it, but you did. You may not feel like you have what you really want, but if you shift your perspective and your focus, you do. And that's what will carry you throughout the days. Three years ago, this is my last story and we'll close. Three years ago, I, I was blessed with the opportunity to move back down to South Florida from Atlanta. And at that same time, um, my grandmother was given a diagnosis of uh, leukemia. And, and grandma, you know, you love your grandma. And so that, that, that helped. It was a blessing that I was able to move back home, but they gave her six weeks to live. I remember when I got home, that, that was the diagnosis, six weeks to live. And uh, by the grace of God, I was given about three months with her. And uh, I got to sit down at our kitchen table a few mornings and just talk to her about her life and get to hear a few, few amazing stories. And interestingly enough, she, she had a very opposite upbringing of Paul, not just in Arab, but just in wealth. She grew up in Puerto Rico and at an early age would walk to school. At times she would walk barefoot. Some of, many of you understand what this is like. She would walk barefoot and there was even moments where, well, a moment where she dropped out. I think it was third grade. She dropped out to take care of her, her younger siblings. Third grade. And eventually she, she gets married and moves to, to America and Connecticut area. And her and my grandfather, they, they go, you know, from the scraps, dishwashing, and they, they make their ends meet to do what they need to do and have five beautiful children and raise them in the ways of the Lord. And I'm blessed for it as a grandchild. 
for my last three months. Uh, it was like grandma got a farewell tour. It's the coolest thing. If any of you, uh, you know, you've seen Kobe Bryant retire or you saw a couple other Derek Jeter retire, they got a farewell tour. They got to go to all the stadiums and, and they gave them their flowers and told them how great they were and how, how powerful and amazing things they did. And her farewell tour, instead of going out, was people coming to our house. She lived in the second floor in our guest room. It was her room, yellow room. And uh, I remember people coming in and, and getting to speak with her, especially in the last few weeks. And of course it's sad. You're seeing someone you love uh, deteriorate and, and, and fade. Um, but I would see people walk out with tears in their eyes. And there was a few times where I had the, you know, the boldness to ask. And I said, hey, what, what did you guys talk about? Why, why are you crying this hard? <laughs> and they would just share with me, um, grandma just prayed for me. Grandma was sharing the word of God with me. Grandma uh, challenged me to get right. And it just blew me away that I, at the end of her life, a life that maybe a lot of us in here relate way more to than Paul, she may not have influence all over the world, accolades, wealth, third grade education, but something she didn't know was that when she met with the Lord, that was the most important thing she could do. And so I want to pass that on to you today. Are you wasting time? Are you wasting moments saying, oh, next time, next time, Jesus? Oh, I forgot today only to find yourselves at your own wit's end, tired, alone. You can make it, and it starts by meeting with him. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.